I'm Lou Eisen, and welcome to Ring Talk. And this week, we're going to discuss the September 23rd, 1952 World Heavyweight title fight between uh, the champion, Jersey, Joe Walcott, who was 38 years of age, which was considered to be ancient back then. But when you think about it today, he's still quite young. I'm 61. And Rocky Marciano, who I think was 33, 32, 33 at that time. Marciano was a slight favorite in the betting. And uh, Walcott had just won the title three months earlier in uh, on his fifth try. He tried twice before with Joe Lewis. Uh, won the first fight, but didn't get the decision. That was a big controversy. And then uh, second fight, he never fought Joe Lewis twice. That was death. Lewis knocked him out in the 11th round. Then Lewis retired, and they had a tournament. And uh, the tournament, Lewis lent his name to the tournament, but the tournament was controlled by the mafia, uh, Frankie Carbo, under the auspices of the International Boxing Commission, run by James Norris, who loved, who, who owned the Chicago Blackhawks, Detroit Red, Ring, Red Wings, and owned the arenas. And Lewis was going to lend his name, and in return for that, get 250 grand. He lent his name. He got no money. And out of this tournament, Ezra Charles was one of the all-time, all-time great fighters and a magnificent light heavyweight, great heavyweight champ, really skilled. And he committed an unpardonable, 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 excuse me, I'll get it right, sin in that he beat Joe Lewis. And that's when they accepted him as the world heavyweight champion, though he'd won it before that. So Charles defended against Walcott. He was the best contender out there and beat him twice and Charles needed to make more money off the title and there was no one else to fight so what happens is um um you you um well hang on one sec here now I'm being asked do you want to switch video inputs I think you're not no I think you might not know it's using the laptop cam it is using the laptop cam. I didn't know that, and I don't know why it is doing that. Or just look at the laptop cam. Okay, so I'll look at the laptop cam rather than the one that I paid good money for. I don't know why it's not doing that. I'll have to figure that out somehow. So what happens is uh, Walcott is the only reputable challenger there for Marciano or for uh, Charles. He fights Charles, and... This is the third, fifth time for him that he's fighting for the world title. Third time he fights Charles. And in the seventh round, you got to see this on YouTube. He lands the uppercut of the greatest uppercut of all time. Left uppercut. Takes Charles' head and <laughs> turns it all the way around. Charles staggers back to the ropes, fights over. Walcott finally wins. He's now the undisputed world heavyweight champion. The oldest ever at... Um, 37 years of age until, of course, George Foreman comes along and wins it at 45. But Walcott uh, has eight children. Walcott is an interesting backstory. He was born in Camden, New Jersey. His uh, father was from the West Indies. His mother was from from um, the United States. His father's hero was the original Joe Walcott, Barbados Joe Walcott, uh, world welterweight champion. People look at him as the first. He wasn't really the first. The first welterweight world champion was uh, Canadian, mysterious Billy Smith, born in Digby, Nova Scotia. So you get Walcott, 
And his real name is Arnold Raymond Cream. And he takes to boxing when he's young. And he he um, changes his name to Jersey Joe Walcott in honor of his father. You know, he's married young, has kids. He starts off boxing. He boxes a lot in New Jersey. boxes a lot in nearby Philadelphia. And he's doing all right. And he bumps into one of the greatest several trainers ever to have lived, Jack Blackburn, who's also a, a magnificent uh, world um, lightweight challenger or, or fighter. And Blackburn fought everyone from Joe Gans and to Sam Langford. So Blackburn was a genius, but he had a hot temper and never got a chance at the world lightweight title because he was because he was African American. So. He started to train Walcott, and at the time he was training Walcott, this is the late 20s, early early to mid-1930s, what happens is two uh, numbers runners from the African-American underworld, one from Chicago, one from Detroit, John Roxborough and Julian Black, they come to him and they say, we got a new kid out of Detroit named Joe Lewis who's going to move to Chicago to be with you. And he's black, and we think he can be the world heavyweight champ. And of course, they said, or Blackburn said, no, 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 I'm not going to train a fighter specifically to win the world heavyweight title. They'll never give a black man a chance after Jack Johnson. Blackburn and Johnson hated each other. And and when Johnson came up to uh, Joe Lewis's camp once to try to get rid of Blackburn, like to convince Lewis to drop him, Blackburn put a gun to his head and said, leave or die. And he wasn't kidding. He would have pulled the trigger. So he's getting offered more money to train Lewis than all the other fighters, white fighters and black fighters combined that he's already training. He can't turn it down. He needs the money. And it's the Depression, the Great Depression. So he goes and he trains. And he he invites uh, Walcott to come with him. But Walcott doesn't want to be second banana. So he plays his career and he stays there and he fights and fights and fights, and he's having some good fights, some bad fights. You know, it's the depression. He's not eating well. He's got kids. He, he doesn't get a chance to train much. And the the nadir, the the end, not the end, but the lowest point of his life, he fights a guy named Abe Simon, who was in the movie On the Waterfront. Um, I don't know how many of you remember Andre the Giant, but Andre the Giant had the same pituitary problem that Abe Simon had, where Abe Simon was 6'4", 6'5", unusually large head, gigantic hands, wasn't that skilled. Lewis knocked him out twice, and um, he beat, he stopped Walcott, and Walcott was embarrassed to lose to someone like that. So Walcott quit, and as the war effort heated up in the late 30s, early 40s, Walcott got better jobs working for the federal government and was starting to make good money. He would occasionally fight. And um, Walcott, I'm just looking for his date of birth here, was born January 31st, 1914, whereas Marciano was born September 1st, 1923. So Walcott luckily had a benefactor. He had a man named uh, Felix Bocciccio, or Bacchicchio, depending how you pronounce it. And this was a mob guy. This was a guy who was deeply connected to Frankie Garbo, who was running boxing, and he could move Walcott's career along. Walcott didn't want to get back into it. He'd been disappointed enough. He'd been ripped off in so many of his his um, fight purses. But Bacchio said, listen, we'll, we'll do this. Well, I, I guarantee you. 
So he told Walcott to quit his job for the government, which he did, and he financed everything. For whatever reason, Bukikio had a very um, soft spot in his heart for Walcott and his family. So he paid training expenses. He paid everything. And Walcott started to be fighters. He started to do well. He had some losses too, but he started to move up in the rankings. At a certain point, uh, after Joe Lewis had come back, this was just after the war, uh, Lewis was having a tough time finding finding um, opponents that were actually that good that people would want to pay the talent. It was so overwhelmingly supreme, no one could beat him. And so they figured they're going to have an exhibition match, you know, 10, 12 rounds, Walcott, Lewis. Nobody really knew Walcott then. He wasn't a well-known name. So they're having this fight, and they said when they're having the fight that um, – uh, the only way Walcott can win the title is if he stops Lewis, which people thought was an impossibility. And ticket sales aren't going that great. And then the Gardens decides, well, you know what, Madison Square Garden, we're going to make it a world title fight, 15 rounds. And then ticket sales take off, and they have this fight, and Walcott beats Lewis. Hands down, he beat him in that fight. He didn't get the decision, but he beat him. And Walcott is... My mentor, Angelo Dundee, told me he was a real cutie pie, real slickster in the ring. He, he, he had this habit of, if he was squaring up against you, he w wouldn't square up, excuse me, he'd be on an angle. And when he would do that, if you were in a clinch with him and the referee broke it, he'd sort of walk away from you in a half circle. And when he'd walk away, he'd be facing you on an angle. And then when you went towards him, he'd stick his left jab out and then hit you with his sucker right hand. You never saw it coming. And he dropped Lewis twice. Lewis couldn't believe that. And Lewis fought his heart out. And at the end of the fight, Lewis left the ring because he thought he had lost. He said later he didn't. That's not why. But that is why. And Angela was there. And everyone thought Marciano, or excuse me, Walcott had won. And they gave it to Joe Lewis. People couldn't believe it. And so they had a rematch, and in the rematch, Walcott dropped loose again, and they kept fighting and fighting, but then Walcott made a mistake of trying to stand there and trade, and it's, you know, it's suicidal to trade with Joe Lewis. I mean, he was the greatest puncher in the history of boxing going back over 300 years, and they tried, you know, Walcott tried to trade, and Lewis caught him and knocked him out in the 11th round. And then, well, you know, Lewis retires undefeated, 1949. Undefeated, and they have to have the tournament. While that's happening, Rocky Marciano is born September 1st, 1923, in Rockton, Massachusetts. And he's got two immigrant parents. His, his mother was a homemaker. His father was a shoemaker. And that was hard work back then. My own grandfather did that. It was piecework. You had to make something like 50 to 100 pairs of shoes to get it to get a nickel or whatever what i mean it was very dreadful work so marciano's in high school and he loves baseball that's his first love and he had a tryout with the boston red sox for a catcher but he was just he was too short arms weren't long enough couldn't throw quick enough could hit but that wasn't his sport and so he on a lark because of friends of his, like Ali Colombo, he tried boxing and he did well. And so he's boxing and he figures, you know, he, he's an athlete. He wants to do something physical. 
he was always a physical fitness fanatic. He gets into boxing and he starts doing well. But he's not he's not really that skilled. I mean, he's fighting guys that aren't really that good. You know, it's just that he has a punch that could drop a charging rhino. No one could punch like Rocky Marciano. He, he was only 5'10 and a half, 186 pounds. And people say, well, how would he have done against an Ali or a Klitschko? But if someone takes a 186-pound piece of wood and hits you in the head, you're done. And that was Marciano. He got full leverage. And Marciano had one of, if not the greatest trainer ever, Charlie Goldman. And Charlie Goldman came up with the famous phrase, no one invents a fight or invents a game, excuse me, just to be beaten at their own game. Obviously, if you, in other words, when you fight a person, you fight to your strengths. If you're fighting to the other person's strengths, you're going to lose. So that's not the smart thing to do. So this is the story. It's a true story, Angelo Dundee told me. Angelo's waiting in New York in Stillman's gym. And he's sitting, he's standing there with Charlie Goldman. And this is late 40s, 49 you know, and he's standing there and he says, Charlie, I'm hungry. I want to go for lunch. And Charlie has a watch on a stopwatch. He goes, I got one more kid coming in. We'll look at him and then we'll go for lunch after. I want to eat now. He goes, Angelo, just give me a break. It'll take five minutes. Who's this kid? And he's trying to read off the paper. He looks Italian. You read it. And he looks and he says, uh, Rock, Rocco Marchegiano something. And it was Rocky Marciano. And Angelo said, listen, I'm, you know, if I don't eat, I'm just going to go eat and I'll meet you there. He goes, no, wait. And so he said, Colton says, I'll get rid of the kid. Don't worry about it. So Marciano gets in the ring. And who do they put him in the ring with? They put him in with a 10-year pro, a stick-and-move fighter, a guy who's like 6'1", 6'2". They figure he's going to take Marciano out in a minute or two, and then they can go for lunch. And Marciano gets in the ring. He throws a right hand, misses, and he falls his body goes through the ropes, doesn't go out of the ring, but he's very awkward. Misses a left, falls down on his on all fours, and he's missing and falling. And uh, Angelo said, okay, are we done? And Charlie Goldman looks at his stopwatch and goes, okay, got about a minute, and then we'll have lunch. And then all of a sudden, Rocky throws a right hand and hits this guy up near the side here of his head, and knocked him out cold. The guy ended up having a fractured skull. The guy was taken to the hospital. He never fought again. And Angelo said, Goldman sits there and just like drops his cigar out of his mouth. He can't believe it. And, and he said, what do you think? And Goldman says, I'm gonna sign him. And he said, but he's got no balance. He keeps falling. He said, you're right, but a guy who could punch hard enough to drop a charging rhino is someone I need to have everything else I can teach him. And you know what? He did. He did teach him everything else. He got Marciano in the ring. He would tie his feet, you know, tape it to the ring and then tie his feet together and say, this is how you stand when you're throwing your right hand. Twist at the waist, throw it with the shoulder. And he got him to do that. He didn't just do it for five minutes. He would do it from 7 in the morning to 7 at night, 12 hours a day. He'd get him to throw it tens of thousands of times. Um, and, and he would show him, get in the ring and show him, this is how you throw the jab. He said, listen, here's the thing. you got short arms. Everyone you're going to fight has got longer arms. You don't necessarily have to hit the guy in the chin. You can hit him in the belly. But if you can't do either, hit him in the arms. 
hurt his arms, hit him in the hips, hit him in the elbows, you know, hit him in the throat. And Marciano did that. Marciano did damage wherever he landed a punch. He broke guys' arms. He broke their forearms. He broke their elbows. He had very heavy hands. And whenever he hit you, it hurt. And so what happened with Marciano was he not only not only was was um, Goldman showing him the ins and outs of the sport and training him, Marciano was in phenomenal shape. You know, last night watching the the fight between Javier Fortuna and and Ryan Garcia, they were saying how the guys had you know five six weeks to train. Marciano trained six months. Marciano would train up to twenty four weeks for a fight. I mean that's incredible. He'd run twenty miles a day seven days a week. That that we, that just doesn't happen anymore. Marciano would get into a pool with water up to his chin and throw punches. And he got to throw punches so quickly in water, he could throw them as quickly in water as he could in the ring. And that was all Charlie Goldman's idea. Marciano, when you see guys sitting there doing sit-ups, Marciano would do 10 or 15,000 at a time, 10 or 15,000 push-ups at a time every single day. And so when Marciano got in the ring, he could have gone 50 rounds. He, he, his balance was greatly improved. He had a granite chin. He had a tendency to swell and to cut, but he just was impervious to it. He, he just, he was smart enough to listen to Goldman and Goldman took him all the way to being one of the all time great world heavyweight champions on his way up. He had some really good fights. He fought a guy named Carmine Vingo, who he almost killed. Bingo suffered severe brain damage, and Marciano was really upset and prayed for him every day, went to church. But Vingo survived. He fought a guy named Roland Lestarza, who went on to be an actor. And Lestarza was a great stick-and-move fighter, but but um, Marciano caught up with him. And when he caught up with him, that was it. Lights out. The biggest fight Marciano had before he had a world title shot was against his idol and hero. Joe Lewis. Marciano adored Joe Lewis. And in fact, in the training camp for the fight, someone had made a mistake of using the N-word to refer to Joe Lewis. It was a reporter. And Marciano hit him. Marciano, he loved Lewis, and he didn't want to fight Lewis. And Charlie Goldman said, you have to beat Lewis to get a shot at the title. And in the first couple of rounds, Marciano's tentative while he's fighting Lewis. Charlie Goldman sat him down and said, listen, if the fight goes 15 rounds, and I know how much you love him, you're torturing him. You're just torturing him every round. He can't take this. And you're going to let it last. You're going to torture him more. Just get him out of there quick. Let's end his agony. And so he drops him in the fifth or sixth round, and then the eighth round, that horrible scene where he knocks Lewis through the ropes. Marciano couldn't look. He was crying so hard he turned. Angela Dundee told me everyone in the gardens was crying that night. But Lewis said years later, because people would say, you know, if he fought a young Lewis, he would have, Lewis would have killed him. Right, because, because Lewis would have been 22 and Marciano would have been 13. So, yeah, of course he would have killed him. But Lewis said uh, at Marciano's funeral that in 1969, he said, on my best night, which was when I knocked out Max Schmeling, I couldn't have beaten Rocky Marciano. He's too quick, too strong, and just too tough. And Marciano didn't let you breathe. He got right on top of you, and he just kept punching away. So the fight between Lewis or between Marciano and Walcott is set up 
Marciano's a slight favorite going in. Walcott said, Walcott had the predominant view of Marciano. He's saying, listen, Marciano's basically, you know, uh, uh, an amateur. He's a good, he's a pretty good amateur, but he doesn't have the skill of a professional fighter. Now, Marciano's record ended up being 49 and 0. It wasn't. Marciano lost to fight to a guy named, a black fighter named Tiger Ted Lowry. And what happened was Lowry hit him in the solar plexus. Marciano's knee came up and hit Lowry under his protective cup. Lowry went down and Marciano was disqualified. Overnight, the mob changes the fight from a disqualification to a no contest. Later in the night, it becomes a draw. And then the next day, it becomes a win for Marciano. And that's how the mob worked. Marciano was managed by Al Weil, who was controlled by the mob. Al Weil knew very little about boxing, but Al Weil uh, saw Marciano and he signed an illegal contract. Marciano didn't know better. The state law said that in New York, if you're a manager, you could only take 10 to 15%. He had a 50-50 contract for Marciano for life. And Marciano, when he signed it, thought, well, probably nothing will work out in boxing, so what do I care? You know, I'll have two fights, I'll get very little money, and then he'll he'll get his 50% of nothing. Didn't work out that way. So Marciano's money started to go up and up and up and up and up. And you see, I watched this fight yesterday, by the way, the Marciano Walcott fight. You would think Charlie Goldman, his trainer, who taught him everything, is in the ring with him. But it, it's Al Wild giving him this advice. And Marciano's not even looking at him. He's just looking to the side to Goldman. And finally, Goldman gets Wild out of the ring and takes over. Wild, while he's standing outside the ropes, is bothering re referee Charlie Dagger. Watch his elbows and watch this and watch that. And Dagger says, you can hear on the tape, just shut up, Al, and go back to your corner. Because Walcott was a clean fighter. Marciano caught guys with elbows and low blows. Not deliberately, mind you, but, you know, when you push down on a guy, he's throwing a punch. That's what happens. And Marciano, you know, this was a war. He went in to win. And he didn't deliberately foul people, but he did foul people. And that's what happens in the sport of boxing. So when the fight starts out, uh, Marciano comes out and he's in his crouch and, uh, you know, they're, they're filling each other out at the beginning of the fight. And Walcott catches him uh, with the left hand and drops Marciano. He'd never been dropped before in his life. And he was smart because, he, you know, Goldman's yelling, take a count, take a count. And he's he's takes a five count. He gets up. But you can see, you know, when he pounds his fist on a canvas, he's angry at himself. And he gets up and Walcott really goes after him. And Walcott's... 6-1, and he's coming at almost 200 pounds, so he's a bigger man. He's able to physically move Marciano and shove him around the ring. And he's really landing some great shots Excuse me, on Rocky Marciano, but Marciano's able to take those shots. So when the round ends, Marciano goes to the corner, and Golden says to him, look, he looks in his eyes and says, Rocky, we can't go into the past. That round's done. He knocked you down. You got to forget about it. New fight starts round two. And Marciano was professional enough to understand that. So the fight progresses in round two, round three, round four. And after third, fourth round, Golden said, listen, he's a, he's a slick guy. He knows what he's doing. Don't go for his head. Hit him on the arms. You know, hit him in his elbows. Hit him in the neck. Hit him in the stomach. And that's what he starts doing. And Walcott, when he gets close, ties him up. But Marciano's hitting with uppercuts. He's pounding his arms and his elbows. He's hitting him 
in the stomach. He's hitting him in the uh, you know left hook to the liver, and he's doing a smart thing that Goldman taught him. He's getting in close and he's pushing his head up on the taller man, forcing Walcott's chin to go up, and so Marciano can take a step back, throw a shot, and hit Walcott on the chin. And while and Marciano is missing a lot of shots, but he's also ducking a lot of shots from Walcott. But when he does land two, three in a row from Walcott, Walcott feels it. Both guys are landing titanic shots, moving each other back. And we get to the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. Marciano's got cuts in his scalp, and he's bleeding. He's bleeding from inside his mouth. His eyes are starting to swell badly. He's got a cut in his nose. His nose is bleeding. Walcott's got a cut over his left eye. But when you go back and look at the corners, you see Walcott in the corner, and he's... He, you know, he's trying to get his air. Marciano's not doing that. Marciano's just very calm. He's talking to Charlie Goldman, takes a drink of water. He's in, he could go another 45 rounds if he had to. He's in phenomenal shape. And so the fight keeps going on and, and they keep pounding at each other, just vicious shots. And Walcott's trying to sucker him in. He's trying to hold him. He's pushing his head down. He's doing all these dipsy doodle moves and what, you know, he's landing furiously on, on Mar Marciano, a lot of shots. He's pounding Marciano's face into a swollen, bloody mask. And and Walcott's taking a beating, too. So the thing is, this was an important fight. Why was this an important fight? Well, Marciano's friends and family members have bet everything on Marciano to win. And when I mean everything, I mean their houses, every cent they own. If Marciano loses... Everyone that knew him and loved him and his family would be wiped out. He had to win. Now, the interesting thing about this night, the night of the fight, September 23rd, 1952, at that same moment that this fight is going on, here in Toronto at Massey Hall is occurring what was called and has been called since that night the greatest jazz concert of all time on stage and i'm going to tie this together in a sec at massey hall you had charlie parker greatest jazz musician ever along with dizzy gillespie trumpeter charlie was an also saxophonist you had charles mingus the bassist who was taping it for his his record label debut because there was a record strike going on in new york although the concert was in toronto and the great penis bud pal massey hall was half full People, that it sold out, but only 50% of the people showed up. Why? Because they were all watching the fight close circuit at other venues in Toronto. Everyone had to see what happened in this fight. Everyone wanted to see if Marciano could actually overcome Walcott. And the musicians themselves were asking people in between songs, what's going on in the fight? Does anyone know what's going on in the fight? Is Joe winning? And... The fight goes on, eighth round, ninth round, tenth round, and Marciano's still bullying him up. You know, he's bullying him against the ropes. He's he's using his forearms to hold him there, his shoulders. He's pounding his body, pounding his arms. Walcott's in a lot of pain. You know, he's, he, his arms are hurting. He's having trouble bringing them up. A lot of times Walcott's against the ropes with his hands down, and he's just, you know, he's just uh, sticking moving with him with uh, Marciano. He's just moving his head and and trying to avoid him that way because his arms are, are so heavy at this point for Marciano pounding on them for 10 rounds. 
And after ninth, tenth round, Goldman said to him, and this happened in the first round. You saw it right away. Goldman says to Rocky, he says, listen to me. When he moves back from the clinch, he'll stop and he'll throw a right hand. But he's going to bring his right hand back. He's not going to throw it straight. So what you got to do, you have to, when he, when he plants his feet, don't let him get the shot off. Throw your right hand right away. The minute he stops, throw your right hand. And Marciano's looking for the opportunity. He's hitting him good shots, clean in the chin, in the head. He's hitting him in the body. He's hitting him all over. He's pounding him. But at this point in the fight, after the 12th round, Walcott's ahead. He's clearly ahead in all three judges' scorecards. In fact, one of the judges was Zach Clayton, who went on to referee the fight between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman many years later in Zaire, now the Belgian Congo. So Walcott's comfortably ahead. And in his corner, he, his trainer, the great Dan Florio, was saying to him, nine minutes, that's it, nine minutes. Stay away. Don't stand there and slug with him. And Walcott's, I'm trying to stay away, but he's not letting me. You know, Marciano keeps cutting the ring off. He keeps forcing the issue. Walcott's just trying to get away from him and trying to land good shots to deter Marciano from trying to kill him. And 13 round, 13th round starts, and you know, they're they they come together, the fighting referee breaks them up, and Marciano is following Walcott. And Walcott's moving back, he's five, six feet. Marciano closes the distance. Walcott plants his feet, and as he plants his feet, he's you see him moving his right arm back, and then Marciano just like he was taught by Goldman, he doesn't pull his arm back. He just pivots at the hip and his shoulder, straight right hand, hits Walcott clearly on on the uh, left side of his face. It was the hardest single punch I've ever seen in my life. And they call it the hardest punch of all time. It was the most perfect right hand ever. And it dropped Walcott. Marciano, as Walcott's hanging on the ropes, walks by and sort of hits him. A follow-up, a light follow-up shot with the left hand, but it didn't really matter. I mean, I think if you went to Municipal Stadium today in Philadelphia, Walcott would still be there on the campus. That was a crushing knockout punch, and and that was it. And after the fight, they they um, you know they interviewed Marciano, and they couldn't interview Walcott. He was out for a long time, and Marciano said, "I I thought I was getting to him. I mean, he could really fight. He's a great fighter." And I, I take my hat off to him. Uh, but he said, I could tell my punchers were getting to him. And he could tell that he was really starting to put a beating on Walcott. But Charlie Goldman said, you're running out of rounds, Rocky. You got to get him out. Because if you don't get him out, you lose the decision. And he, a guy like you, as tough as you are, they're not going to give you another chance. So you got to do it now. So he knocks him out. He's the undisputed world heavyweight champion. They fight again a year later. People think Walcott took a dive. Hard to say. Walcott got hit with a good overhand right early in the first round. He went down on his back, shook his head, and just stayed there on the canvas in a sitting position. And he never, he never got up. And he never fought again. Marciano had several more title defenses. Uh, he beat Ezra Charles twice. In one of the fights, Charles split his nose completely in half. You could see it on YouTube. You can see a picture of it even. If you Google it, and the referee said, if you don't knock him out the next round, the fight's over. I can't let it continue. You don't have a nose. And he went out and he knocked uh, 
Well, if he knocked out Esther Charles, he had to do it. Otherwise, he would have lost his title. And he also, I think in his last fight, fought Archie Moore, the greatest knockout fighter of all time, unbelievably great light heavyweight world champion. It would have held the belt for almost 25 years had the racism in boxing not been so vile and pervasive and had the mob left him alone. He had to wait 12 years to get a title shot. You know, he's in his mid-40s when he's fighting Marciano. He still drops Marciano in the fifth round. And Marciano was hurt. And Marciano gets up, and the referee does the count, and and Moore moves in, and the referee stops. And Moore, like, tries to move his arm around. Okay, fight fine. No, stop. Rocky, are you all right? He's taking time away from Moore to make sure Rocky Marciano's all right, which was frustrating to Archie Moore. And so he retires. Now, what really upset Rocky Marciano is all during his career, there were two things. He had a chronically bad back. But because Al Weil would not let him renegotiate his contract, he said, listen, we're making a fortune. You know, 50-50 isn't fair. New York State says, he said, well, then take me to court. And the mob wouldn't have allowed Rocky to go to court. That's just the way it was. So Rocky just said to, to Al Weil, listen, you got to make it 51-49 for me. 55-45 for me. It can't be 50-50. And Wilde said, that I'm not going to change the contract. I don't have to. You didn't sign it under duress. Now, looking back on it, lawyers today that I've spoken with said that they could have gone to court and in a day the contract would have been thrown out and he could have got rid of Al Wilde. Why didn't he do it? I don't know. But he quit. He said to hell with you to Al Wilde. He also had a bad back and he'd had enough. And he got out at the right time. The thing about that was he had his money, but because he couldn't, he didn't get the contract without while annulled. Everything after he retired, every speaking engagement, every exhibition, you know, uh, every job he had as a play-by-play -play guy, he did stuff for Spalding uh, Sporting Goods had to be paid in cash because you can't trace cash. So Marciano would say to people. You know, they'd give him a check for a speaking engagement. He'd say, what's this? I can't use this. Had to be cash. Al Wow couldn't do that. Couldn't take it from him. Al Wow, because he quit promoting it, or at Madison Square Garden to run uh, Marciano's career. Now that he lost his golden goose, the mob says, you're done. All the fighters that, screw, that he'd screwed over, that he called for money, they just hung up on him because Al Wow was such a nefarious vile character in boxing history and gone out of his way to screw fighters, especially Canadian Sammy Lovespring, who was number one weight, rated welterweight in the world at that time. So uh, in the 30s. So Marciano, you know, after he retires, he, he, he's making appearances. And uh, Angel Dundee told me that Marciano, when he went out to eat for dinner with people, they invited him for dinner. He never would pick up the check but they said he said when the check came his arm would shrink six inches so the way marciano looked at it and i didn't see anything wrong with it but the way marciano looked at it was i'm the former undisputed world heavyweight champion i'm an all-time great you're getting a chance to go out with me uh have dinner so you know what you should be paying for it you didn't come out and say that but that was rocky marciano in fact there's a story about when he came uh to toronto to give a speech and someone had got him a lady of the evening in a hotel room 
and they set it up. I heard it's from a mob guy, and he goes up in the room, and he spends the night with the lady of the evening, and next morning he goes to the airport to go home, and they ask the lady of the evening, what was he like? Was he polite? Yes. Was he a gentleman? Absolutely. Was he, uh, so he was a nice guy? Yeah, except one thing. Well, what's that? He borrowed $50 from me so he could get a cab to go to the airport. Rocky Marciano had been with this prostitute, borrowed money from the prostitute that was already paid for by the mob so he could get to the airport. And Rocky didn't trust banks, so he buried his money in, in his backyard, different places, and he also put it in banks under assumed names. So when he died, no one found his money. His money's still out there, just no one has found it yet. So Marciano became very close friends of Jersey Joe Walcott after. Um, Walcott retired and got a job as a sheriff in Camden, New Jersey. He refereed the second uh, Liston Ali fight, which he made a mockery of. He just, he wasn't good at that. But but he did appear in movies. He appeared in my favorite boxing movie, next to Cinderella Man, which I was in. He appeared in The Heart of They Fall, the story of Primo Carnera. And uh, he knew Carnera. And he, he played the trainer. So he was great in that. Very kind person, never had the privilege of of meeting him but i've never heard anything ever bad about walcott angela would tell me he was just the salt of the earth just the kindest person you could possibly meet and rocky when he would get speaking engagements he knew that walcott and lewis would need the money so he'd give it to them he would say to the booker give it to joe walcott or give it to joe lewis one time marciano went to visit lewis after lewis had had a nervous breakdown and because lewis was indigent they kept him in a service closet in the hospital. And Marciano had to be held back from killing the, the person who ran the hospital, the administrator. He said, you know who this is? This is the greatest athlete that ever lived. You can't do that to Joe Lewis. And he paid for Lewis to get the best room in the hospital. Uh, he loved Lewis. And one thing I'll give Marciano credit for, of course, is the fact that you can go on YouTube now, and you can see him with Howard Cosell, Jimmy Cannon, and Jack Dempsey. When Ali knocks Liston out in the second fight, Jimmy Cannon said this was a fix from the beginning, and Jack Dempsey said, well, I mean, you know, it didn't look like a guy that big could get hurt by that, a punch like that. But it was Marciano who said, listen, we weren't the one taking the punch. You know, he hit him high on the head. That discombobulates you. You know, that happens. Archie Moore did that to me. He hit him with that 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 right hand, and Liston's shoulders shook. So it looked like a good punch. Only Liston knows how hard it hit him. So, you know, that was a very good point. Marciano was making speaking engagements all over the country. And in the late 60s, after Ali had had his title stolen from him, he did that those, those uh, video fights with him, the computer-generated fight, where if you're from the South, they have Marciano winning. If you're from, from uh, the Northern States, they have Ali winning. Um, people didn't think Marciano would get to get would like Ali, but they ended up becoming good friends because, as Angelo said, they had a lot in common. Both undisputed world heavyweight champions, you know, both minorities, and both were heavyweights. They had stuff they could talk about. The thing Ali said after, of course, was Rocky had lost 75 pounds to get in shape, had a toupee, but he said, when you watch the computer fights, he's really hitting me in the stomach. But there's times where Ali would say, cut the film. 
Rocky, it's a computer fight. You're not really punching me. But he said, I, I just can't. Sorry. That's just the way I am. I can't pull my punches. So at, at that point, uh, you know, Marciano is getting money from all sorts of different sources. He helped George Chevallo train. He didn't. He, he really did nothing more than, you know, take Irv Ungerman's money and enjoy the food. But um, it was his trainer, Charlie Goldman, who actually turned George Chevallo's career around, told him to stop throwing punches out the window and to throw them straight. And he did the same exercises with George that he did with Marciano. And then George's, you know, knockout ratio went way up. So Marciano is... Uh, still doing everything by cash by the late 1960s, and he wants to get home for his birthday. And what happens is he charters an airplane from a kid who can't fly at night, but he said, go ahead and try. And, of course, the plane crashes, and Marciano was killed. Uh, all the great fighters, Walcott, Lewis, Ali, they were all at his funeral. They were crestfallen. I mean, they loved the guy. You know, Rocky was a true fighter, and he was part of that brotherhood. And they all looked out for each other. He's one of the all-time greatest fighters. Uh, you can never count him out of a fight because a guy that can punch that hard is in every fight. It's not the size of the of the uh, dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight and the dog. And no one in boxing history had more fight in him than Rocky Marciano. Jersey Joe Walcott actually, you know, lived a lot longer, and he lived to 1994. He uh, ended up, as I said, being a sheriff in Camden. He uh, made a lot of special appearances. He was at one time the oldest, one of the oldest world uh, heavyweight champions still living. Max Schmeling held that title. But um, Walcott helped out youth all the time. He was always there for people. And he had great things to say about, uh, about Rocky Marciano. It was a golden era in boxing from the time Joe Lewis took the title to the time Marciano retired. When Marciano retired, uh, it was Archie Moore versus Floyd Patterson, and Patterson won. And there was not another golden era until Ali took over. But those guys, Marciano and Walcott, that fight's an epic fight because unlike a lot of heavyweight fights, there were a lot of ebbs and flows in it. And there's a point where you think Walcott could stop him here, but Marciano hangs on. Marciano knew he had to get low and get under Walcott's reach and bang him to the body. Walcott knew he had to use his reach and keep moving and keep turning uh, uh, Marciano. This is something I don't understand when I watch recent fights on TV last night or in the past couple of years, but a referee will say to a fighter, stop turning him. Turning a guy is part of the sport. It's a strategy. That's what you want to do with a slugger like Marciano. You want to keep moving him around. You want to keep turning him, keep him off balance. And Walcott knew that. What you had was you had a huge tsunami and a levee, and eventually the tsunami was going to break through the levee. The levee was Walcott, the tsunami was Marciano. Something had to give, and what gave was Walcott's chin. You can't fault him for going down because next to the left hook that Sugar Ray Robinson knocked out Gene Foreman with, that's the greatest, in my, in my opinion, that's the single greatest punch I've ever seen. I mean, it distorted Walcott's features, and I'm, you know, Angelo, who was there, said he thought he'd killed him because Walcott was down and just collapsed and didn't move for a good half hour. I mean, he was really out. And that's the way it was back then on September 23rd, 1952. This is one of the all-time great fights. You can actually get this fight on YouTube and you can watch every round. So do that because 
before the fight, they introduce all these great fighters from the 1920s, guys you've read about, Lefty Lou Tendler, former world champion Benny Bass, and all these other great fighters, Gene, Gene Tunney, and you see them and you're thinking, wow, there they are live on, on TV. And uh, it's a fantastic fight. It still holds up today. So if you want to have a great treat this weekend, go to YouTube, click it on, get Marciano Walcott one, sit back, get a beer, and enjoy it because you're in for the fight of your life. It was a magnificent, magnificent battle. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Ring Talk. I'm Lou Eisen, and we will see you again next Sunday at 2 p.m. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.